The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So the first thing I want to say tonight is that um, I listened to a talk this morning. I zoomed into a talk at the Minnesota Zen Center where Kyoko Kadayama, who is someone who teaches here at Common Ground, who's a community member, uh, talked about the use of saying we and um, how often that's um, something that seems exclusionary or um, makes assumptions that everyone is white or everyone is cisgendered or straight or whatever. So uh, what I want to say is when I used the word we tonight in uh, my remarks, I'm talking about we as people who are interested in the Buddha's teaching, interested in, uh, in finding a path to freedom. So that's the, the we that I'm, I'm talking about here. So some years ago, I encountered an especially surprisingly uh, instructive little book called an Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. And it's by the, um, uh, the very perceptive, very self-aware uh, Canadian astronaut, Chris Hadfield. And one of uh, Hadfield's most intriguing ideas was be a zero. And he explained that in astronaut training, all the members of the group um, were involved in many, many projects and mission simulations. And that there are always one or two members of the training team that didn't perform up to the level necessary. So they had a negative effect on the outcome. And he said there were always one or two members who really wanted to impress. They wanted to be stars. But this sort of overreaching by those who wanted to be uh, seen, uh, making a very positive contribution, could really unbalance the whole team's execution. So the moral for Hadfield was that he should be a zero. Don't strive to be positive, don't do anything negative, but just focus entirely and exactly on his job, making sure that he didn't do anything that would compromise the mission and letting go of any ambition to be recognized as a superior astronaut. I found this really interesting, and it made a lot of sense, and I tried to take it to heart and to apply it to my Buddhist practice. Be a zero meant do no harm. And it also meant let go of any ambition to be recognized as a good yogi, a good Dharma student. And of course, this is much easier said than done. The desire for praise is a deeply, deeply conditioned desire in a culture that claims to be a meritocracy. So when we come to the Dharma, 
We all have personal reasons. We're curious. We're stressed out. We want to stop our racing minds. We might even want transcendent bliss. Our motivation, speaking very generally here, is usually to fix something or to get something. But when we actually begin to taste the Dharma, to engage with the practice, that we discover that the focus is not on how to change anything, but first on how to be with what is. So in practice, we're asked to be with the body, be in the body, to notice the in-breath and the out-breath. And for those of us who come to meditation thinking that thoughts are the enemy, we're encouraged to become aware of their transient nature. They arise and pass away, even if it seems like we're in a hailstorm of thoughts. And there's a wonderful Pali word, and Pali was this, the original language in which the Buddhist scriptures are written. And there's a wonderful Pali word for sort of having lots of thoughts and the word is papancha. I mean, it sounds like popcorn popping, the way the mind, thought after thought after thought after thought. So papancha. All of us have probably had a lot of experience with papancha. And the question is, can we just relate to it? Can we just be with the papancha? So over time and with practice, we may notice that our relationship to body, breath, and mind has changed. Instead of trying to control the body, the breath, the mind, we simply and sometimes spaciously connect. And I'll just a little parentheses here. I was reading um, this week and uh, a profile of Brene Brown, whom many people have heard of, and she was talking about. Um, uh, she'd listened to something by Jack Cornfield where he talked about the near and far enemies of, like the far enemy of um, compassion is cruelty because you, that's the opposite. But the near enemy is something that kind of appears to be like it but isn't quite. So like pity would be the near enemy of compassion. And Brene Brown said this really interesting thing about, she said, you know, the, um, the opposite of connection is you know, disengagement, not connecting. But the near enemy is control. Now, I thought that was just brilliant. I'd never heard anyone make that, um, make that observation, but I think that that's really interesting. So what we're trying to do is to connect, not to control. We see more and more clearly the deep truth of our conditioned experience. That in the words of Ruth King, um, the Buddhist teacher and the wonderful author of Mindful of Race, all of our conditioned experience is imperfect, impermanent, impersonal. And we just watch that over and over in meditation, that everything is imperfect, impermanent, and impersonal. 
And it's from this place that we might investigate our aspiration for our continued practice. Why do we practice? In the early Buddhist texts, the idea of liberation was tied to the notion of completely uprooting greed, aversion, and delusion from the mind. And a lot of our practice is seeing these really unwholesome tendencies appear and choosing not to uh, not only to not act out on them, but to replace them with the virtues of generosity, compassion, and wisdom. So we watch over and over. We come to recognize even subtly, subtle tastes of greed, subtle bits of aversion. Delusion, of course, is the hardest one because our deluded thoughts often appear as great wisdom. But we get pretty good about uh, sussing out uh, greed and aversion and replacing them with generosity and compassion and ultimately wisdom. So if we return to Chris Hadfield's story of astronauts in training and the admission to be a zero in service to the, the mission, can we apply this to our own lives on and off the cushion and engage with others? So what's the mission, you might ask? Non-harming is the answer. Not harming self, not harming others. And sometimes this is expressed more positively in practicing for the benefit of all. So what if we saw ourselves in training with a team intent on uprooting greed, aversion, and delusion in our communal and civic lives and cultivating generosity, compassion, and wise action. We might only be able to see our part in the vast enterprise, but we could do what we can with the humility of a zero. A humility that also recognizes that our part is integral to the whole. If we don't do our part, the whole suffers. We practice for the benefit of all beings whenever we find our part or our part finds us. Maybe we bring more generosity, compassion, and wise action to our workplace. Maybe we work to dismantle the delusion of white supremacy. Maybe we engage wholeheartedly for climate justice. We can be heartened by the knowledge that we are practicing with thousands upon thousands of other zeros for the benefit of all. Practicing for the benefit of all, no exceptions, is called the path of the bodhisattva, a path to becoming a Buddha. And 
when the texts talk about the historical Buddha before his awakening, he's always referred to as the Bodhisattva. Bodhi means awakened. So this is a person who has yet to awaken. And Shantideva, in the first half of the 8th century, was an Indian monk. And he wrote a really important text called The Way of the Bodhisattva, which uh, he wrote it in Sanskrit. Um, He's probably at the university at Nalanda in northern India, and it is uh, a text that has been translated into numerous languages, but was translated into Tibetan um, within a, a, a few hundred years of his life, and it's become a really essential um, Tibetan text. We don't read it as much in the um, Theravada tradition, but it is a very, a very beautiful text. And it's an essential text for the Dalai Lama. And he says that the principal focus of the way of the Bodhisattva is cultivating a mind wishing to benefit other sentient beings. With an increase in our own sense of peace and happiness, we will naturally be better able to contribute to the peace and happiness of others. Transforming the mind and cultivating a positive, altruistic, and responsible attitude is beneficial right now. Whatever problems and difficulties we have, we can thereby face them with courage, calmness, and high spirit. Therefore, it is at the very root of happiness for many lives to come. So that's the Dalai Lama's endorsement of Shantideva's text. As we abandon greed, aversion, and delusion through mindfulness and the ethical trainings of non-harming, we will likely find ourselves more and more disposed to acting for the benefit of all and less and less focused on I, mine, and me. And there is um, a prayer from Shantideva that really captures this aspiration. And it's said by many, many Buddhists throughout the world, and I just find it personally a very a very inspiring prayer. And it is, may I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those in need of protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without a light, a place of refuge for those who seek shelter, and a servant to all in need. And this is just such a, um, a, it's an aspiration, and it's a beautiful expression of opening to what can be done right now to address suffering. This um, complete willingness to be a servant 
a servant to all, however that appears. And the beauty of being in Sangha, of being in community, is that we walk the path of a bodhisattva with our spiritual friends. Ideally, we all get to practice for the ultimate benefit of all. And this is a great support for all who make efforts to achieve racial equity and bring about a just climate future, this idea that we have spiritual friends that we do this work with. And I'm particularly inspired by the words of Joanna Macy, who is now 92. She is a Buddhist scholar, eco-feminist, and activist, and she's the co-author of a book called Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. And she is, uh, she like Jane Goodall, you know, and people say, well, you know, you're kind of getting on in here, isn't it? And they both say, that's very clear. So we have a lot, I said, so are you, are you about to slow down? And they both say, you know, no, time is short. I have a lot of work to do. I'm really aware of the importance of just uh, attending to the work. So I want to read a poem by Joanna Macy that I personally just find so um, helpful on those times when, uh, when I'm really discouraged. I won't say when I'm despairing, but for the times that I feel discouraged, um, this, is, this is something that I go to. Joanna says, when you act on behalf of something greater than yourself, you begin to feel it acting through you with a power that is greater than your own. This is grace. And today, as we take risks for the sake of something greater than our separate individual lives, we are feeling graced by other beings and by earth itself. Those with whom and on whose behalf we act give us strength and eloquence and staying power we didn't know we had. We just need to practice knowing that and remembering that we are sustained by each other in the web of life. Our true power comes as a gift like grace because in truth it is sustained by others. If we practice drawing on the wisdom and beauty and strengths of our fellow human beings and our fellow species, we can go into any situation and trust that the courage and intelligence required will be supplied. I'm going to read it again because there's a lot in here. And generally, I think any poem worth reading is always worth reading twice. When you act on behalf of something greater than yourself, you begin to feel it acting through you with a power that is greater than your own. This is grace. Today, as we take risks for the sake of something greater than our separate individual lives, we are feeling graced by other beings and by earth itself. Those 
with whom and on whose behalf we act give us strength and eloquence and staying power we didn't know we had. We just need to practice knowing that and remembering that we are sustained by each other in the web of life. Our true power comes as a gift, like grace, because in truth it is sustained by others. If we practice drawing on the wisdom and beauty and strengths of our fellow human beings and our fellow species, we can go into any situation and trust that the intelligence and courage required will be supplied. So how does this land for you? I would love to know your, I appreciate your uh, kind attention, and I really am interested in how does this land for you? This idea of being a zero, practicing for the benefit of all beings, uh, uh, being sustained by spiritual friends, of not being alone, of really belonging, and how helpful it is to have spiritual friends walking the path of the bodhisattva, uprooting greed and desire and delusion. Please, and would you say your name? Uh, that's something I really have thought about a lot, too, that in, in difficult situations, I say to myself, the courage, if I trust, if I trust you know, my fellow human beings, I trust other species, the wisdom, the courage, the intelligence that I need for any situation will appear. That that's, and not just from me, you know, that... that we will be able, as beings working together, to come up with the courage and intelligence required. Thank you, and and that's you know that that's very compassionate to say you know that the person who's trying to control is often doing it out of out of insecurity. You know, when we do um, loving kindness practice and we work with a, a difficult person, you know, call that person to mind. And we are practicing for the benefit of the difficult persons in our lives as well as for those who are easy to, uh, to care for and care about. You know, if we can, um, can just recognize, oh, this person, this person probably feels insecure or how much we want to be accepted uh, for who we are, and a lot of times you, know, you might compassionately imagine this person who is being so difficult with whom I'm having so many difficulties. This person too wants to be accepted and is struggling with that. 
and so you know we can we can often um, find that compassionate use our imaginations uh, and find that sort of a compassionate response that uh, allows us to say oh this is another another suffering being and often we can see how people in some ways sometimes bring about their own suffering with actions that they hope are going to alleviate their suffering, like control. You know, if only I can control the situation, I'm not going to suffer. Um, if only I can control my partner, my parent, my kid, my coworker, um, then I won't suffer. And uh, often that turns out to be a recipe for suffering. Other other thoughts people have. And that, that's very, um, it is hard. I mean, it's sort of like what Chris Hadfield was saying, you know, like in astronaut training, like everybody has to do their job or we don't come back from outer space. You know, and, and that um, in other things where the mission might not be as critical, it is really hard when other people don't do, um, don't do their, their parts. Um, and I also just found but the comment about kind of the overreaching, you know, wanting to be the star, the star astronaut, or, you know, notice what a good, what a good yogi and what a good meditator I am. You know, that sort of watching that, that coming out instead of just saying, what needs to be done right now? You know, what's, what's the appropriate action right now? What's the action that will lead to less suffering, less harm? And to really focus on, on that. Yeah, please, you were going to say something. Yeah, sort of what Joanna Macy was talking about, she said, we're sustained by the web of life, so that often, you know, we could use support, that we're the person who is, um, you know, needing some light or needing some shelter, and that, um, you know, that, that, um, that in practice, we don't... Um, we don't regard ourselves as less than other. The, the Buddha taught, there's this really interesting um, concept in uh, early Buddhism called mana, M-A-N-A, and it, it gets translated as conceit, which is a, a really weird translation, but it's about the comparing mind. And it's if we hold ourselves as less than other, so that we don't take care of ourselves. Um, you know, we exhaust ourselves. We don't um, feed ourselves. We don't, we don't take care of ourselves in the way that we would ca- care for another. That's an example of mana, of being sort of less than. And the idea is that everyone should get appropriate care. So the idea of being kind of the self-sacrificing martyr uh, is uh, something that the the Buddha historically was very critical of that that we um, we regard ourselves with the same sort of care that we would regard another. So that in the Shantideva prayer, that when you know be a servant to all in need, if we're the one in need, we should take care of ourselves. So it's not to um, to sort of put oneself down, 
It's to, to recognize, that, oh, like all beings, this, this being requires some care. But because one is a being, not because one is special. Does that make sense? Other, other responses or ideas? What about practicing for the benefit of all? Does that seem too grandiose? I think that's something that we're, we're becoming you know, so much more aware of that um, I was reading somewhere that we used to have this sort of model of um, understanding evolution as you know, survival of the fittest. And um, as someone pointed out, well, that's because the people who are coming up with that theory were really in competition with each other to sort of be, be the breakthrough scientists. But when we look at, at the, the biosphere, what we see is extraordinary cooperation, interdependence, um, you know, these just remarkable... Um, you know, life exists because of this, this interdependence. Um, you know, the, the bats are great pollinators. You know, I mean, it, and uh, I mean, we, we just, how much of, of this, this world is this really cooperative world? And I always think the most remarkable thing, the most important thing about human beings is each of us is only here because when we were born, one or more human beings cared enough about us to keep us alive. You know, we are only here because other beings cared for us. So that is really the central fact about human beings is this capacity for care. It's no, it's no small thing you know, that, that, that when people emphasize competition or you know, our intelligence... Um, intelligence is really important, but the most important thing is that capacity to care. And that's really what kept us alive and what we're engaged in when we're, we're helping others. It's that capacity for care that is... Um, and it's not, it's not uniquely human, I mean, the way it's expressed, but you know, we see caring in a lot of other species too, a lot of the, the mammals the social species. Um, you see you know, extraordinary care of animals for, for each other. And so, um, you know, I think it was um, Margaret Mead who said, you know, the sign of a civilization, um, you could tell when people were civilized, was when you would find um, burials where there were bones of people who had um, obviously had some sort of like a, uh, an injury and um, evidence that people cared for other humans who were not able to really uh, contribute to the group, but they kept these other human beings alive. And you can tell that by the um, whatever the sort of... Um, incapacitating injury might have been the sort of age of that and that the person lived quite a bit longer. And so there's this sort of evidence um, from, uh, you know, 
thousands of years back that human beings cared for other human beings who couldn't really contribute in the same uh, sort of way. And they, uh, they kept them alive. So again, you know, that's just um, a remarkable thing and something to, to really take seriously, this tremendous capacity to care. And I think that's really what we are talking about when we talk about the benefit of all beings. Um, and I really uh, try to, um, sometimes when there are individuals maybe that I don't know personally, but I am very aware through the media and I have um, you know, intense feelings about their behavior. And I really say to myself, am I really practicing for this person? I really do try to call as I, I am practicing for the benefit of this person. I want this person who's doing very destructive things now actually not to suffer. I want this person to... Um, to live a balanced life, which is not to say that um, that for the benefit of all people means that there is no justice, that we don't take appropriate measures when harm has been done. But it does mean that we don't, as, as Mark would say, we don't throw anyone out of our heart, that we care. We care about what happens to everyone even if they've done terrible things. We care about what happens to them. Other, other comments or thoughts or ideas? Well, why don't we sit together for uh, a few minutes and then I'll, I'll share the merit. So sharing the merit is this wonderful Buddhist practice of um, imaginative generosity. I think of it as extravagant imaginative generosity, that we can um, send our good wishes all over. So if there is any merit to our practice tonight, any benefit any goodness, any blessing, we would happily, joyfully share it with others. In fact, if we could, we would give it all away. 
we would give it to our parents, our teachers, our families, <coughs> our friends, our community. We would give our blessings to the people we like very much and those we don't like so much. We would share our blessings with the people we know and with the millions upon millions of people we have yet to know. And in addition to the two-leggeds, we would share our blessings with the four-leggeds, the many-leggeds, the winged, the scaly, the slimy, the finny. May all beings find a path to peace. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for your sincere practice um, this evening. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.